Hey, wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth2letteryou.org. It's time for Gleanings from Genesis, and joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour of Israel, Vice President of UnitedIsrael.org. Welcome back, Ross Nichols. Hey, Jono. How are you? Doing good very to be well. Here. Thank you, my friend. Glad to have you back. Gleanings from Genesis, discussing the new translation entitled The Transparent English Bible, TEB, of which the uh, book of Genesis is now available. Uh, you can get a copy at Amazon. And joining us is the Editor-in-Chief, Professor of Ancient Judaism and Early Christianity at the University of North Carolina, the President of United Israel. Welcome back to Truth To You, Dr. James Tabor. Thank you, Jonah. Good to be with you again. Glad to have you back, my friend. Now, listen, speaking of United Israel, I received in the mail my calendar. You did? Just yesterday. You I did. See, now, not a lot of uh, people that live overseas get those calendars, mainly just because it's so cost prohibitive but but you're special Jonah so James and I talked and he said hey look you know go ahead and send Jonah one so I'm glad you got it though that I don't know how many days it took to get there but it was pretty good while yeah all the way from Louisiana to uh to Victoria here and uh happy to have it so thank you I love the calendar it's just a lovely calendar and I love the verse that we chose you know, Ross, we could we could handy. send we could send out one of those if uh, if some of our listeners want one of those, I would be uh, perfectly happy to uh, to send them one if they request it by email. If they write me, I'll be happy to do that as long as supplies. I was also out. thinking we might uh, scan it in color. Mm-hmm. I had intended to investigate that, there and people could have it uh, free. You know, just through email. Yeah, the verse that we put on that Jewish calendar this year for Jewish year 5781 is from Psalm 22 and verse 28. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Jehovah, and all the families of the nations shall worship before thee. Very good verse. I love it. Excellent verse. And I appreciate uh, you sending me a copy. It's a beautifully presented calendar, and you, you have some left. So what is the email for those who are quick look if people will email me at uiwuvp at gmail.com and just put in the subject bar of the email calendar request and send your physical mailing address sometimes we get people will respond to the email and they don't include their address and so you know, I, I mean, I can't help you if you don't give me your address. So if they'll send me <laughs> so their address. VP, VP, sometimes VP. you can't hear letters yep. as in yep. vice president, in, not VP. Yep. That's right. That's okay, right. very good. There it is. Now, last week, uh, we discussed why the Transparent English Bible. Why? Why the Transparent English Bible? How does it differ from the other leading English translations? What are some of the translation techniques that Dr. Tabor employs that makes this translation unique. It was an excellent program. We got some comments. Are you ready for this? We're ready. I'm ready. Derek. Derek. G'day, Derek in Canada. Derek and Anna uh, Jabawoski. Hey, Derek. Uh, yeah, he's, he just Hello, got his... He's arrived in the mail. He said, thank you so much for this recording. Excellent work. Andy. Now, Andy, I think, is in the UK. Uh, he said, looking forward to the next episode. My book arrives sometime today from Amazon. He wrote that a couple of days ago, taking quite a few days to get here, even on Prime. I guess uh, in this day and age, and you know, COVID and all, things are a little bit slow. But uh, I know that people's, are, people's books are arriving. As I said, Derek just got his today. Jonathan Caskill. G'day, mate. Uh, spells it the right way. That's good. Great interview. Really enjoyed it. I'm so excited about Dr. Table's translation of Genesis being available for purchase. Now, he wrote us a, uh, a quite lengthy, detailed um, email. Uh, which we very much appreciated. You shared that with us, James. So thank you, Jonathan, for that. Mary says, I'm so excited to get Dr. Table's book, The TEB, listening to this first episode, Introduction. It was a great way to close out my Shabbat. Thank you. Transparency, she said, let Yehovah's words speak for themselves. By the way, the cover is beautiful, not pornographic, she said. Now that's in response to uh, another comment that we got last week. Uh, you wanted to say something about that, James. I, I did because, I mean, I'd seen the cover because I had to send it in um, to the printer, but I got my copy, Jono, this week also ah, you know, in my hands. I'm looking at it right now. And boy, I really love the cover when you actually hold a book in your hands. The colors, everything about it. Mm. But I wanted to say something about Chagall. It's C-H-A-G-A-L-L. He was a Lithuanian Jew 
He was born in 1887. Guess what his first name was? Moshe. He was a Hasidic Jew, a raised Orthodox, of course. He lived almost 100 years, so he went way into the next century. And he's clearly the greatest Jewish artist of the 20th century. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And one of the th- he does everything, but one of the things he does are biblical themes. For example, he did the stained glass windows at the Hebrew University Hadassah Medical Center in Jerusalem. If you've never seen those, it's worth a separate trip. Ross, if we could ever work that in, it's down by Ein Karim. You know, we Absolutely. might be able to work it in on the bus ride back up. But wow, it is amazing. The 12 tribes, and they were on display oh. in the New York Museum of Art for about a year before they were installed because they were so stunning uh-huh. that people in America wanted to see them. And then they were installed. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the great synagogue in Jerusalem also has some Chagall. So he did paintings. Yes. and But his artwork of the Bible, this is impressionistic. It, you know, art, nudity in art is not porn, pornography, and especially if you're doing the Garden of Eden mm. and Adam and Eve, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. And so this art, I think, is quite profound. And when we get to the text, it won't be tonight as we're recording this, uh, because it's way on into chapter two and three. Mm. Of Genesis, but we will ex- explain a little more. And as I said last time, you know, maybe our broadcast will have to be censored if we're really going to look into these Hebrew words because Hebrew is incredibly uh, forthright, I think is the way right. it, about human nature, about sexuality. And uh, but we'll get into that. We'll get so into I that. Hey, let me go let ahead, me Russ. Just add one, one thing uh, because. James brought up these beautiful stained glass windows and uh, the 12 tribes, the artwork of of Chagall. Uh, Dr. Tabor's wife, Lori, made this or or she purchased this uh, print. James, you remember you guys gave that to me for the UI building, and it is on the wall in front of me as we speak. So I'm looking at it as we talk. It's quite lovely. It's called The Tribes of Israel Were Gathered Together. Uh, you remember yeah. that print? Yeah, we knew him as Mark later in his life. You know, he took on an English name, but it was Moshe. I like calling him Moshe. But he uh, it's what we call impressionistic, but he captures emotions. That cover, if you if you look at it and read Genesis 2 and 3, you'll actually feel the text in the art. Mm. And so mm-hmm. I, I love it. Well, that's great. It. And this is not to put down our reader that, uh, you know, had the initial comment. I mean, they're different points of view, but I want people to consider this other point of view. Vicki Billing. Remember Vicki Billing? She's been on... uh, Fellow Australian. There you go. She has been on the Table Nichols tour. She's also been on the Tanakh tour. And she wrote in and she said, I'm so excited about this series. Uh, Have it on Kindle and uh, have a hard copy coming. Is there a hard copy? Is there a hard copy available, James? No, I, she must mean a printed copy because she must mean, no, I didn't unless, get it in hardback. It's just not worth the money, really. Ah, okay. Uh, thanks so much. Enjoyed the first episode and uh, it was good to hear all your voices. Well, thank you for writing in, Vicky. Appreciate your comment. And lastly, now speaking of the, the Table Nichols tour, um, which happens in March, by the way, and just for, for the listeners, uh, there is a tour planned for this March, uh, this coming March. Uh, where can people get details on that, by the way? It's on blossomingrose.org. Blossomingrose, one word, .org. And, and there's a tab for the, the various tours that Blossoming Rose sponsors. And what we'll do, Jono, is we'll give you the link and people can have that in this episode. They'll be able to go. see that link right there in the content. So they can click on it, check it out. It's a fantastic tour. I mean, you know, riding around with Dr. Tabor for uh, 10 days in a bus, it's just, uh, it's overload, information I will overload. Say, I mean, obviously, obviously you and I do the Tanakh tour every November, but it was my extreme privilege and pleasure to be part of the Table Nichols tour this past March, and uh, unforgettable experience. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I would very happily go again. It's, it's definitely worth taking a look at, dear listeners. That is in March. And uh, on the tour was Glenn and Belinda Walk. Remember those those guys from Chicago? Absolutely. Oh, and their all of their children. It was absolutely wonderful. Well, not all of the children. They've got they've got something like seventeen children, but three of them were there. <laughs> and 
They're like like Ross, huge family. Um, but I was I was chatting with Glenn earlier this week. Uh, he's excited about this new series. Belinda left the following endorsement on Facebook. She said, I'm recommending the book of Genesis by Dr. James Tabor. Uh, wow, finally a more literal, more transparent translation of our creator's Hebrew-breathed message to mankind. I really like the way she puts that. Uh, this new translation, yeah. the Transparent English Bible, is presently only available uh, for one book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. But, and this is my favorite part, she says, there are no theological biased commentaries uh, from any particular religious or doctrinal views. Uh, if you get this book, I also recommend listening to the, the podcast. This is what you're listening to now. So thanks so much, um, Belinda, for leaving that uh, endorsement yeah, of the book. Yeah, thanks, Belinda. And I really agree with what she's saying. There is no, and, and we talked about that last week as well, that there's no theological slant to the transparent English Bible. Now, now, Jonah, I wanted to add, I wanted to add something on that, that uh, I, we might have mentioned it last week, but just to expand a little bit. Usually, when you pick a translation, you ask, oh, is this a liberal, you know, done by liberal theologians? Is it academic? Is it fundamentalist? Is it conservative? Is it reliable? You have all of these kind of theological judgments. And the whole method of this text, of, of the transparent English version of giving what the Hebrew says, ironically appeals to those who want a close study of the text and might be seen as more academic. This is used in some college classes, in other words. Mm-hmm at several universities. So you say, well, it's probably very academic. And yet people who want a close study of the Bible that are really conservative in their outlook, you know, that the Bible is the word of God and so forth, they also Mm -hmm. want the same text. So it's as if the translation allows people to meet around the text, regardless of their presuppositions uh, without that. And that's the first thing I do when I buy a Bible. I start looking through so how did they slant this and how did they slant that? Right. And, yeah. you know, right. Uh, and uh, I hope we don't do that. I don't think we do. No. Now, as I mentioned, people are still waiting. Some people are still waiting for Amazon to deliver their books uh, if they haven't ordered the Kindle, uh, the, the paperback. And uh, But for you, dear, dear listeners, if you haven't received it already, as uh, Ross has taken a photo of the first page with James's, James's permission, we'll put a copy of that uh, on this podcast so that you can at least follow along with the Transparent English Bible while you're waiting for your copy to arrive. So that's the first page, uh, chapter one, and this is where we find ourselves. It begins like this, at the first of Elohim, creating the skies and the land, and the land was desolation and emptiness and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. James. Okay, so I'm going to go back to verse one and uh, just look at a few details. And Ross, if you could also post the reader's guide, would you be able to do that as well as chapter one? I sure can. Or that first opening of chapter one until people get copies because that gives the key some of these uh, symbols. So before I talk about the, the verses you read, Jonah, in terms of content, uh, let's let's learn how to read this because people are going to be able to look at this. And you'll see that uh, where it says at the first, you see a little F mm-hmm. right after the word first. And what that means is that that word rosh there, or roshit, is feminine. Uh, mm-hmm. Doesn't particularly matter in this case, but we try to uh, indicate that when it's significant all the way through. And so if you see a little letter F, we mentioned this last time, there's our first example. And then the numbers the little superscript numbers are notes, and they would take you to the back. Mm -hmm. Uh, We weren't able to put the notes at the bottom of the page. Maybe in the future, if we typeset this and print it with a Bible company or something, that could be done. That's the advantage of the Kindle, though, isn't it? Isn't it, uh, James, the advantage of the Kindle? The The Kindle, you can just click on it, and it pops up. I love the Mm -hmm. Kindle. Yeah. So, So then we come to this word Elohim, and we talked last time about the names, and I want to say couple of things about this. Uh, that word is plural, and I don't put a P every time it occurs because it's explained in the introduction as plural. Mm-hmm. And it's from the word L, 
would be singular, or Eloa is another form of it. Mm-hmm. And it simply means power or force. And so when you make it plural, it's like saying the force of all forces. And notice here, you're not naming the force. We're going to get to that. What mm-hmm. force? The force of all forces at the first is doing something. And yet that plural has a singular verb. So creating is singular, bara. So uh, just in those first few words, Bereshit, bara, Elohim, you've already got these details, a plural noun, a singular verb, and then let's go back to that at the first business. This I mentioned last time, I'm going to just repeat it again for people that didn't hear it or to get it straight because it's very confusing to people. Everybody knows in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period. And that is not a good translation. And the simple reason, Ross, do you have a Bible handy that you could? I have have? all sorts of Bibles handy. Uh, Ross, turn to Jeremiah 26, verse 1. I have it open, James. This is how long I've been studying under you. I already have that open, and I have a few. Uh, I have every reference to this. I'm ready. It's in the note. This is actually yep. the same phrase, Bereshit, and it's translated in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim. Yep. Now, look, you couldn't say in the beginning, Jehoiakim began to reign, period. It, it doesn't say that. It says in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of uh, Josiah, king of Judah, this word came. This mm-hmm. word came from the Lord. You see the idea? There's this particular phrase, Bereshit. It's called technically in Hebrew, the construct, but it's it has the word of. So I could have translated this in the beginning of Elohim creating. Right. But reason I put at the first is I wanted to kind of preserve that notion of first, Rosh, you know, head. Mm. If you're at the head of the line, say, I'm at the front of the line, I'm at the first, you're at the Rosh. So this is that uh, a a feminine form of Rosh. So at the head, at the first, in the beginning of Elohim creating the skies and the land. Now, when you read it, Jonah, because you were out of breath, (laughs) You have to almost end at verse 2. But what that's really saying, if you compare it to what we just saw in Jeremiah 26, if I say at the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, and pause, you're going to go, what? What? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, let's look at let's do that with this. At the beginning of Elohim creating the skies of the land, when the earth was desolate and empty and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters, Ross, what? What happened? Right. And Elohim said the same construction. So it's not saying in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. What it's saying is at the first of God creating the skies, the land in describing what it was like, he did this. He said, let there be light. So he's telling the condition of the land and the skies, heavens and the earth, desolate and empty, when God began to create. If you really want to make it sure, it's not as literal. You could just use the word when. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the land was desolate and empty and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters. And he said, so this is a tale, a story, a tradition of how God ordered and and brought out of chaos and darkness and emptiness order and meaning and life. You see? So it actually fits with the kind of cosmologies that we even know scientifically, that you have these crashing galaxies and solar systems developing. And then on this planet, which is called here the land, you begin to have what? Light in land, and then these different creatures. So it's the tale of how a chaotic, desolate, empty, dark planet began to teem with what we have described in the other verses. Does that make sense? Is it, that it does. And it's very different than people think. It's not the beginning of the universe. This is nothing about the beginning of the universe. So what if I translate it? When the force of all forces started working on planet Earth and its sky, its atmosphere, it was desolate and empty and dark. You wouldn't have wanted to be there, you see? It's that kind of idea. Okay, so James, let me ask you a question. If Let me interrupt you and ask you a question because there's, there's already information that you've got here available for people's consideration, for my consideration, that I'm looking at and I've never stopped to think about this before because it just wasn't available to me. You've got uh, 
uh, at the first of Elohim, creating the skies plural. We talked about that briefly last last week, and the land singular. And what I find interesting, uh, we've got skies and land, but then when we get to the face of the deep, uh, you've got a P after face. So that's in the plural, the faces of the deep, the faces of the yes. waters. Just how, how are we to understand that, James? Yeah, before I get to that, uh, hold that, because I sure. want to do it in order. Look, also, let, let me just finish one thought. Uh, the land was desolate. I want to get rid of an idea that you'll find in the Schofield Bible that I don't think is in the Hebrew text. And that is that was could be translated became. And the idea would be if you translate it the old way, in the beginning, God created the heavens, the earth. Well, that'd have to be perfect, right, Jenna? Mm-hmm. He created the heavens, mm-hmm. the earth. It was perfect. And then it became desolate and waste. Why? Because Satan rebelled and destroyed the earth, and then he recreated it. It's called the gap theory. You've heard of it, I'm sure. It's in the Scofield Bible. And it simply doesn't hold up in the text for the reason. It's actually the opposite of that. It's saying, no, at the first, he found it to be chaotic and desolate and empty, and then brought forth the order. Not that he made it ordered, it got destroyed, and then he reordered it. Now, your okay. question, face, you're going to find that all the way through. I got tired of putting the P's in, but I tried to put them everywhere. Because yeah. in Hebrew, you have two, it's a metaphor. Water doesn't have a face. A face is your presence, right? And it's always plural because you have two sides of your face. And when we personify water, we look down at the surface of the water. We say the faces of the water. Because there's that variation in the moving of the water. So it's plural, actually. And spirit, by the way, might be, it's Ruach, Mm -hmm. it might just be wind. You know, we want to bring bring the Trinity in or something, or some people want to say, oh, this is the Holy Spirit of God. Did you know it might simply mean, do you know, what if I talk to you like uh, I'm telling you a story, and you're a little kid sitting at my knee, and I say, you know, when God first began to order this planet, you know what it was like? And your eyes open up and you go, what, what? It was dark and empty. And this wind swept over Mm. the face of the water, stirring them up, making all of these faces, you know, these uh, surfaces. Mm. And then God said, let there be light. So uh, I put spirit, but you look at most texts, they'll say, or a wind, the wind of God. Right. Ross, you were going to say yeah, I just wanted to add just one other point when uh, James was talking about the, the Hebrew Bereshi, that exact form. The footnote brings us to Jeremiah 26. But just so people know, so the listeners know, that precise form, Bereshi, occurs five times in Scripture. Once in yep. Genesis 1-1, and four times, all of the other four remaining times are in Jeremiah Jeremiah 26, 1, 27, 1, 28, 1, and 49, 34. And in each case, uh, in every other case, so if you left Genesis 1, 1 as it is usually translated, and then you look that word up, you'll find that in every other case, it's just as James said, it's in this construct form, in the beginning or at the first of the reign of so-and-so. And And then it creates... Yeah. yeah, it has to. So, and that's what we find is that often translations will, they'll take a concept or a word or a phrase and they'll translate it a certain way in one place. Mm-hmm. And then in the other places, they translate it differently. What this translation does is preserves that construct state. And it's it's accurate the way it is in, in the book of Genesis as James has translated it. So, yeah, I just wanted well, to point that out. Let me tell you where this, I've got right here in front of me, a book written in 1560, the year 1560, the Geneva Bible. So that's before the King James, that would be Mm -hmm. 50 years before the King James. Let me read it to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens, the heaven singular and the earth. So why is that important? Because the Geneva Bible then became the standard for all subsequent English Bibles. So that's why we're so familiar with it. Once it was translated that way, it stuck. Hmm. But you've got to put the uh. In Hebrew, anytime you put a word in the construct, it's like the glass 
of James. You can't say the glass James, it's the glass of James. Mm -hmm. It's used hundreds of times, it's just common uh, Hebrew. So this, uh, it, does, it else, does give us a different idea. It does, and uh, this is something else that has captured my attention. Uh, and while we're in Jeremiah, uh, the spirit of Elohim was hovering, and you've got a note, and I love these notes that you have here, James, i.e. fluttering or shaking, see Deuteronomy 31.11 or Jeremiah 23.9. The only two other places this verb is used, always as an intensive, in an intensive form. How, can you elaborate on that? How, we, how are we to understand hovering? It, it, it reminds you almost like swooping or a bird a flying or something like that if you look up these other references um yeah it's, it's almost like a fluttering whipping, like whipping the wind is whipping or the spirit is whipping and and it could be spirit i'm not saying it's wind for sure we don't know i tell you one other point uh when james got to the point about this idea that what it's saying is that you know when god began to create this is the way it was like and the hebrew uses this phrase tohu Vabohu. Mm -hmm. yes. This this exact phrase only occurs one other place in Scripture, and and if I could, I'd like to read a couple of passages that just Go to ahead. show you. Look at Jeremiah with me. Go to Jeremiah chapter four and and verse twenty three. Now in this particular prophecy, I want you to watch what Jeremiah is saying. He's clearly looking back at this picture that James is describing, or that the, the author is describing in Genesis. Uh, Jeremiah 4.23, I beheld the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. That's the Hebrew, tohu vavohu. And the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved to and fro. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the sky were fled, you know, and what he's seeing, if you read this in context, it's like a rapid reversal of exactly. the created exactly. state. So what Jeremiah wants us to see is imagine this dark, desolate, gloomy, eerie, almost chaotic world. He's describing the situation in his day. This is the vision that he sees. So it's exactly the reversal of that picture of bringing order out of chaos. It's the exact opposite. Hmm. And that's yeah, it's so important to get this straight because people who read it the other way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And it was chaotic and desolate and empty. And you go, oh, he made it that way? Oh, no, Satan did that is one answer. Or, no, he did make it that way. But as, as Ross just pointed out, and he's going to go to another verse uh, in just a minute, I know where he's headed, that actually says, no, he didn't create it that way. That's Ross exactly that. where I was going. Verse, it's Isaiah 45. We read each other's minds. <laughs> yeah. We didn't rehearse it's, uh, it's It's Isaiah 45, 18. Okay, For let's thus, read that. I think you're yeah, going to go see ahead. that this is the correct view. Go ahead. Yeah. For thus says the Lord, that's a divine name, that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he's established it. He did not create it a wasteland. He formed it to be inhabited, and then it goes on. So that's the idea. He didn't create something as this waste, desolate thing. He orders that waste. And in fact, another way to read exactly the way uh, James translates it here, you know, when people come up with this, uh, the gap theory, that word, that form of, of the word where it's translated was, it's had been. In other words, it had been that way, like desolate and waste, and then God came in and brought life to it. That's right. And so if this is the case, Jono, Genesis 1 is not a story about the origin of the universe. This is a major thing. Think about it. Everybody thinks it's the origin of the universe. Genesis 1 is about the ordering and purposeful designing of the arena we call planet Earth. Carl Sagan's pale blue dot. This is the pale blue dot in the sky that we see now when our astronauts go around the moon or travel in space, or our probes look back with their cameras. And we're telling the tale of how this pale blue dot became a pale blue dot with the land, with the vegetation, with the unbelievable amount of 
fish and birds and animals and finally human beings. And people say, well, you mean it's not the creation of the universe? And there are other texts that talk about God, you know, bringing everything into existence. But this is actually zoning in on the human uh, arena, I like to call it, where human history will begin to play itself or un- what, unfold. What, one other text, uh, uh, you know, James mentions that uh, Elohim is plural, and there are a lot of different doctrines that come in. You know, who was part of this creation narrative? Who is the one doing the creation? And, of course, Jehovah, or yod heh in Hebrew, uh, this God is described as a creator in many, many verses. But one thing, just so people have it in their notes if they're taking notes— uh, Isaiah 44, 24 says that uh, where it's talking about Jehovah as the creator, it says that stretches out the heavens alone that spreads abroad the earth by myself. So it's very, especially when in this portion of Isaiah, it's very, very uh, strongly communicating the singular creator, even though Elohim is plural, as the translation points out, it's a singular verb mm-hmm. and Elohim he created, see, so it's singular. Right. And you and ask about the verb, uh, the fluttering, um, Jano. Yeah. If you look up those other verses, the Deuteronomy one in mm-hmm. note six, it, it actually is a bird actually fluttering or flapping. I even like the idea of soaring or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, the other one is Jeremiah 23, 9, I believe, isn't it? Yes, my uh, bone, Jeremiah My heart is 9. broken, my bones shake, I'm like a drunken man, and so forth. So this fluttering, shaking, um, so I, I chose hovering with the note, mm. uh, yeah. moving back and forth. But it's got this, this flight image to it, over the face of the waters. Waters, of course, being plural, even in English. There it is. And Elohim said, and it's verse 3, let there be light... And it was light. Now that's different. Rather than, and there was light, it was light. And Elohim saw the Mm. light, that it was good. And Elohim separated between the light and between the darkness. And Elohim called to the, now I love that. Elohim called to the light. And you touched on this uh, last week. He called to the light day. And to the darkness, he called night. And it was evening and it was morning day one. Now, there's something different about that too, isn't there? Day one as opposed to first day. Uh, So there's a lot there in those couple of verses, James. Yeah, well, people, because they begin to think of this cosmology thing, like when you say, let there be light. Oh, was that the primeval creation of light in the Big Bang or something? You see how they get completely thrown off with the drama of this story. Mm -hmm. What we get is this water-covered planet We're talking about Earth, the land. So the land is covered with water, the face of the deep. We haven't got the land appearing yet. And let there be light. Uh, I don't don't think, you know, I'm not sure. I, I can read what it says, let there be light, and it was light. But it sounds like light is piercing through. Mm-hmm. You know, God saw the light and it was good. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's the first act of ordering is to throw light upon this dark, chaotic, empty situation, uh, this desolate situation. Because you've got to have light in order to have life. And they separate between the light and the darkness. And so poetically, at least, we talk about, you know, the movement of the day. Even though we today would say, well, what do you mean? The light's always there and the earth turns. And so, uh, you know, this doesn't make any sense. It's not that kind of writing, but it is describing the notion of bringing light to emptiness, darkness and chaos. Suddenly you get light. Uh, If you think of a room just full of total disorder and pitch dark, and you're going to make something of that room, you're going to order it, you're going to bring about a purpose, you're going to have to throw light into the room, you see? Mm -hmm. It's that sort of idea. And you mentioned, as we said last time, in Hebrew, you often, you call to something. Uh, It's almost, I I like to picture it as sort of throwing the name at it. Uh, So I call to the to the light, day, and I called to the darkness, night, so I put it in quotes. And then, of course, day one rather than the first day. The day one has a drumbeat to it, don't you think? You know, you say, it was evening, 
It was a morning, day one. Mm, now, one other point about that. <laughs> Last week we brought up that uh, our chapter divisions, chapter yeah. verses obviously are later. But one thing <laughs> that the readers will notice as they work through this is the, the white spaces that we mentioned. So what's interesting as we work through the creation narrative of Genesis chapter one and into the early part of chapter two, what you'll notice is that after it says day one, then you you have a break. You have a white space and then you begin with the next verse. And that happens again successively through the days of creation. The other thing that I, I'd like people to pay attention to is the consistency of James's translation. So you're going to see certain words that show up throughout the creation. And one of those words occurs in chapter one, verse four. And Elohim saw the light that it was good, and Elohim separated. This idea of separation occurs throughout the creation narrative. So people begin to get the idea that what's happening here is truly an ordering. You're separating this light that has been spoken into existence from the darkness. So there's there are divisions, if you will. They'll see that throughout. Mm-hmm. We should explain, Russ, the, the two kinds of white spaces. Um, we're not going to get to one of the small ones for a while, but whenever you have the paragraph like this, mm-hmm. you know, you see how verse six is indented and on mm-hmm. down. That's the larger one. And that would be right. truly a, a chunk of material. And it certainly makes sense. We're talking about day one and next would be the second day. But notice after that, if you look down at verse eight, it's the second day, not day two. Mm-hmm. That's why I like that day one as an ominous feel to it to me, rather than the first day. Sure. So verse six, uh, and Elohim said, let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters and let there be a separating between waters to waters. That's, that, I mean, again, that's interesting. Uh, an expanse in the middle of the waters, let there be a separating between waters to waters, James. Again, as Ross said, We've had separating of light and darkness. It's it's this ordering, this regularity. And now you're going to have a splitting of the waters. Uh, we're going to see that the waters above, up in the sky, and the waters below. And then there's this expanse. I translated expanse. It actually just means a space between them. Mm-hmm. And so you picture this, all of this moisture or these chaotic waters that covered the globe. Uh, you get this split between them so that the ones above and the ones below have the separation. You're actually making space uh, for the land and for the dwelling of the creatures that are here to come. So it's a step-by-step preparation and ordering of you're always back to uh, verse two, emptiness, desolation, darkness, covered with water. And now we get light on that scene. And now we get this separation. And if you keep reading, and Elohim, the force of all forces, I like to call it the force of all forces, made. And there we have our verb, uh, literally, did. Uh, I put made, but it's actually he did it. He did the expanse. Uh, so again, mm-hmm. not made like he called it into existence, but I did that. You say, well, there's a separation now. I, I, did, I did that. I, I caused that to come, you see. Mm. He made the expanse and separated between the waters that were, I'm very literal here with the prepositions, that were from under the expanse and between the waters that were from upon the expanse. Now, that's what I meant last time when I was talking about the rhythm. I could straighten that out in English. It's not the smoothest English. Look at any translation. I've got the RSV right here. Let me just turn to it. RSV straightens it out just fine. And I let me <laughs> make a point with this about uh, the rhythm. So I'll read it to you in the RSV. And God made the firmament and separated the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. Hmm. Yep. That's really simple. Now let me read it in the Hebrew. I know it's awkward, but get used to it. And Elohim made the expanse, and he separated between the waters that were from under the expanse and between the waters that were from upon the expanse. You say, that were from upon? That's what the Hebrew says. Right. I like 
it's transparent and it actually uh one of my beta readers you know we had test readers for this a few years ago she's quoted in the introduction she says i love reading this to my kids aloud because they listen it's not just what they're expecting and it has this rhythm to it you see mm -hmm. so that's a perfect verse so uh to illustrate this point uh i don't i don't smooth out the hebrew if it's understandable, because I want you to feel it. Hmm. No, I Does that make that. sense? It makes sense. Ross, uh, Hamayim and Hashemayim, the, the relationship between those two words, are we simply talking about you know, bodies of water on the earth and the clouds? How, how do these two words we, in Hebrew relate? You know, it, if you look at the ending of Shemaim, there, there are the same letters. You have a mem, a yud, and a mem. Um, I have looked at this because I had the same question. I don't know that anyone actually connects Shemaim with Maim, even though they have the same final letters. James may know of a situation, but I think most people, uh, if you look up in any standard lexicon or language work on the root, try to figure out it, it doesn't take you. It's like Shemaim is the base part. You can't go any further than that. I don't know of a, a way to, to move it into a further form. Do you, James? I, even though they have the same final letters, I don't know that Lots one of points times to the other. There, there, you know, there's kind of a popular etymology, and it's kind of tempting uh, to say something like, ha -shamayim. somebody looked up and said, hey, there's water, you know, <laughs> there's mayam, sha you know, Mayim, mm, but yeah. etymologically, uh, it doesn't work. I'm going to go to the best lex we happen to have here, everything. <laughs> so I'm going to go to the very best lexicon that exists. What is the very best lexicon that exists? Just, it's called Halot. Yeah, I look at one because uh, Brown Driver Briggs is an older work. Yeah, and Brown it's Driver just so convenient. But if you, you, if you look up the word Shemaim, um, it will simply say heavens or sky. Um, so it doesn't break it down any further than that. But, you know, like you said, there are a lot of people who will look at that and say, well, it's very similar. Perhaps maybe somehow this is the way we got this word. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, it, it occurred to me as it occurred to you. And uh, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are wondering as well. So I'm, I'm glad that we're touching on that. Uh, halot. Uh, actually, they do say, I haven't. Checked it in a while. They say uh, it might be connected to waters or a place for water. So there you go. There is some possibility of that. Yeah. All right. And even though it doesn't read exactly that way, but uh, that's a good idea, and it does sort of explain, in a way, the separation between waters which are from above and the waters which are from below. So it's mm -hmm. it's a good point. It, it just seems to follow. Uh, and so verse 8, and Elohim called uh, to the expanse skies, and it was evening and it was morning, the se a second day. Oh, you ask about a lot. It just means uh, I was Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament. So that's... Oh, grand. It used to be called Kohler Baumgartner. They were the editors, but people just call it Halot, Hebrew and Aramaic. So why does it say, what, a second day or, or not it's, day two? What are you asking? No, no, it's just another uh, very slight difference from what, from what I'm slight used to. Slight difference, as, yeah. Yeah, as you mentioned, people are so familiar with the first chapter of Genesis, and uh, it would be uh, so a second day as opposed to the uh, second day. And that is the end of the first page that we have available for people to uh, follow along with while you're waiting for the book of Genesis. If you can get it from Amazon, as I mentioned before, paperback or on Kindle immediately, which has the, uh, the notes, so many notes available uh, to you just by clicking on the notes that are attached to the page. Hey, we covered, Jonah, we covered two days of creation. There we did. That's right. <laughs> we did pretty well. In an hour. That's right. I might want to no, say something, you know, you know, because back to verse one, because everybody has so many people are into this thing. This is the creation of the universe, right? Wrong. Mm -hmm. This is the creation of the universe. And therefore, are these days ages and will it fit with evolution? And could each day in Genesis be this and that? And you begin to see that what this is, is episodes or stages of ordering. Um and whether it fits with 
theories of evolution or not in terms of sequence would be a separate question. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it that way, as let me tell you the seven stages of going from desolation, tohu vabohu, emptiness, darkness, total planet covered with water, no light whatsoever, to this garden state with these creatures made in the image of God. I want to tell you that story step by step. So stage, step, day, however you want to say it. So this kind of thing, like were these 24-hour days or were these ages or whatever, uh, that doesn't interest me as much as this notion of the sequence. Does that make sense? So the first thing you've got to do to get rid of the chaos and the desolation is separate the waters. And then, of course, you know what's coming next. We're going to have room now for the dry land to be seen. And uh, because there's got to be a a platform, uh, uh, a solid ground in order for these these waters uh, to be held up above and below. Mm -hmm. Russ, final thoughts. Yep. Yeah. One one thing just to sort of wrap up uh, some of the points in these first two separation events, if you think about it, the word creation is used. So this is the tale of creation and ordering. But again, notice the repetition, the ideas uh, in that first section of verses, verses one through five. What's actually happening there is it's a separation between light and darkness. How does that come about? Elohim speaks light into into existence. And then in verses six through eight, it's a separation from the waters above and the waters below. And how does that happen? Because Elohim speaks into existence this expanse, and then it says he made it. It just reminds me of Psalm 33, which is just a, a poetic look at this, where the psalmist basically says that God speaks these things, verse five and six, by the word of the mouth, uh, or the word of the Lord, the heavens are made. So it's this idea that God speaks and things come into order. Uh, so I just think that's powerful. And I love the rhythm. I think that if people read this, like James says, initially it might feel awkward just because people are used to a translator going in and eliminating entire words and phrases to smooth it out. I don't want that. I want something no. very, I want to know what did it say? That's what I want. That's, that's what you I want. You know, Jono, something we, we haven't explained in uh, it shows how your eyes just kind of pass over the page. Sure. Italics. We've got oh, italics. Go ahead. go ahead. Look at this page. We've got uh, verse Ordinarily, one, when you see italics in a, in a translation, it's a word that's inserted that isn't necessarily represented. What does it mean in the transparent English Bible? Same thing. I, it's go. the old Geneva Bible, King James Bible. Now, you know the joke, don't you, where someone was not familiar with this and they went through and marked all the italics in the whole Bible (laughs) because they thought those were the important words (laughs) (laughs) because they're in italics. They're being emphasized. Actually, those are the words that aren't there. And so here's this poor chap working through the Bible, marking everything that isn't there and thinking he's come up with the key to interpreting the Bible. So anyway, so in other words, it doesn't say at the first, it says at first. So why didn't I put at first? Uh, it's it's a toss-up. It just finally has to do with English style. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I, But if I say at first of, it's going to be confusing. A lot of times the is understood. These are all understood. Okay, darkness over face of deep. Now you say, this is starting to sound like someone who doesn't know English very well. And they go, darkness <laughs> over face deep. Yes. And, and again, we're moving more to a mechanical translation if, if, if you were to do that, right? Uh, which isn't uh, yeah. what, what you're aiming for. You're aiming for a literal translation, and therefore these italicized words are, are necessary for the flow. They, they help the flow. They're very minimal. But sometimes they become important, and or maybe they don't have a meaning. Uh, you know, definite, indefinite articles. Let's see, where else do we have one? The, the de- definite article, D, sometimes is put in even when it isn't there. Like if you look ahead to verse 10, going ahead mm-hmm. to next week, uh, the sprout, let the land sprout, the sprout. Because in English, if I say, let the land sprout, sprout, you want to make it plural, right? Let the mm. land sprout, sprouts. And so mm-hmm. in order to show you that it's not really saying that, it's 
it's kind of a we'll talk about it next week, but it's a classification of a thing. Right. Uh, in other words, let the land sprout. What this thing called sprout, almost like a sprout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I could have put a sprout, but I was try- I try to slightly smooth it out. But sure. Uh, what one one final sprout, thing and has... the land made sprout go out. Yeah, so I said, yeah, I was going to say you have to in order to bring it into, you know, you deal with syntax as well. So literally, I mean, if you got so mechanical, that first verse, if you take that one word at a time, see, a lot of times the verb precedes the noun in in standard Hebrew, biblical Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So it literally, at first, he created Elohim. Well, that doesn't mean that someone, unspoken in the text, created Elohim. It's absolutely to be read, at first, Elohim created. And then one other thing, a lot of people make more out of this Aleph Tav. I don't remember oh, if yeah. we brought it up last week. <laughs> But, uh, but no, a, lot people, about that. Uh, a lot of people bring that in and they, they make more out of it. It's a direct object identifier. So it's necessary in biblical Hebrew. Again, to James's point, at first, Elohim, you know, created. And then the question is, what? And then that has a direct object identifier to tell you what's coming next is the object of mm. the verb create. So it's. Hashemaim, and then notice it comes again in the Hebrew, and at the Aretz. Yes. So, but but that word occurs thousands and thousands, thousands of times, times yeah. in the Hebrew Bible. That's right. So, in some of those, if people make more out of it than they should, they'll be surprised as where where it shows up. So, it doesn't work very well. I'll just say <laughs> that. No, I'm glad you brought that up, and uh, and that's a good place to leave it. So, that is the first page, dear listeners. You haven't. Uh, available to you should your uh, uh, Transparent English Bible, the book of Genesis, have not arrived yet. You're still waiting for it. If you haven't ordered it already, we have a link on this on this uh, uh, podcast, and I highly recommend that you do uh, order it as quickly as possible because things are a little slower uh, thanks to COVID these days. Um, so order it as quickly as you can and follow along and with us. Consider, we will be... Go ahead. Consider the Kindle because, as you said, uh, I have a... it on my Kindle, and, uh, you know, some people say, well, I don't have a Kindle reader. You can any you can put a Kindle app on any phone, any any uh, computer, any iPad, any pad, uh, and you can use it. Uh, oh, you don't have yeah. to have a Kindle reader. Some people right. don't know that. But as you said, Jonah, the nice thing about it is you just hover over any of those notes and they pop up in the text and you don't have to flip back. And then it used to go away. And so you that's can a great keep way to reading. follow it. That's a great way to follow Gleanings from Genesis. We'll be back this time next week with another episode of Gleanings from Genesis on the book of Genesis from the Transparent English Bible by Dr. James Tabor, the TEB. Make sure you get a copy. Thank you, Ross Nichols. Thank you, Dr. James Tabor. All of James's links, uh, by the way, web pages, books, and projects, you can find at jamestabor.com. That's jamestabor.com. That's the show for this week. We'll be back this time next week. And until then, have a great one. <laughs>